Today is August 17th, and you are listening to the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. Old Testament reading beginning today in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27 through chapter 13, verse 31. As always, I am reading out of the New Living Translation. Nehemiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 27. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. They were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nehaphatites. They also came from Beth Gilgal and the rural areas near Geba and Azimuth, for the singers had built their own settlements around Jerusalem. The priests and Levites first purified themselves, then they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs to give thanks. One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the Dung Gate. I'm just going to be the first to note that that is a bad name for your gate. What should we name that gate? Let's name it the Dung Gate. (laughs) Verse 32. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah. Then came some priests who played trumpets, including Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mattaniah, son of Micah, son of Zechur, a descendant of Asaph. And Zechariah's colleagues were Shemaiah, Azarel, Meliah, Giliah, Maiah, Nethanel, Judah, and Haniah. They used the musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the scribe, led this procession at the fountain gate. They were straight up up the steps on the ascent of the city wall toward the city of David. They passed the house of David and then proceeded to the water gate on the east. The second choir, giving thanks, went northward around the other way to meet them. I followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, then past the Ephraim gate to the old city gate, past the fish gate and the tower of Hanil, on to the tower of the hundred. Then we continued on to the sheep gate and stopped at the guard gate. The two choirs that were giving thanks then proceeded to the temple of God, where they took their places. So did I. Together with the group of leaders who were with me, we went together with the trumpet playing priest. Alamechiah, Messiah, Minamiah, Micaiah, Eliel, Zechariah, and Haniah, and the singers, Messiah, Shemaiah, Elizir, Uzziah, Judaniah, Mechalip, Elam, and Ezer. They played and sang loudly under the direction of Jezariah, the choir director. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. On that day, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the offerings the first day of the harvest and the tithes. They were responsible to collect from the fields outside the towns the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For all the people of Judah took joy in the priests and Levites in their work. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification as commanded by David and his son Solomon. And so did the singers and the gatekeepers. The custom of having choir directors to lead the choirs and hymns of praise and thanksgiving to God began long ago in the days of David and Asaph. And all the Baptists said, Amen. (laughs) I don't actually know if that's true. I just know in the Baptist church I grew up in, we loved some choir. And we had biblical proof for it, evidently. Moving into verse 47. So now in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel brought a daily supply of food for the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Levites. The Levites, in turn, gave a portion of what they received to the priests, the descendants of Aaron. Moving into chapter 13, verse 1. On that same day, as the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said no Amramite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God. 
For they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them. Through Though our God turned the curse into a blessing. That is what our God does, my friends. Interjection by me. Somebody just needs to hear this. Let your ears open, your heart. Listen to this. Though our God turned the curse into a blessing. That's what he does. Verse 3. When this passage of the law was read, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. Before this had happened, Elisha, the priest who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, who was also a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storeroom and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, and various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priests. I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Elisheb's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, Why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms, Shelemiah the priest, Sadok the scribe, and Padiah, one of the Levites. And I appointed Hanaiah, son of Zakir, and grandson of Mataniah as their assistant. These men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Remember this good deed, O oh my God, and do not forget that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. In those days I saw men of Judah treading out their winepress on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling the produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way, I asked. Wasn't it just this sort of thing? that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city? Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. Then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing out here, camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, O oh my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. About the same time I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod and Amnon and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called them down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. 
Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Jodiah, son of Elishia, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat the Horonite. So I banished him from my presence. Remember them, O my Lord, for they have defiled the priesthood and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O my God. And that concludes the book of Nehemiah in our Old Testament reading. Moving into the New Testament, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And you should imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. Okay, so that's just very common sense, straightforward. We'll move on. No, just kidding. Uh, that verse uh, has perplexed a lot of people, myself included. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in the New Testament we go, yep, we should do that, and then we just do it. But you don't go to very many churches where the women wear head coverings. Uh, and, and here we get a good lesson on how to read the Bible. Uh, we, we need to remember that the Bible was written to specific people in specific times. And so we don't look at it in a legalistic way. Uh, for instance, in Leviticus... You weren't supposed to get tattoos because tattoos represented worship of other gods. Well, tattoos don't normally mean worship of other gods anymore. So the principle is don't worship other gods. It's not actually the tattoo that matters. Uh, here we see there's a principle, and the principle is modesty. In fact, in, in I've heard very uh, compelling scholarship uh, that said that actually the hair of a woman had something to do in the ancient thought with uh, sexual reproduction. So it would, it would have been... It would have been like, uh, in our culture, wearing a, a low-cut shirt to a church gathering. Basically, taking attention away from God and pulling it onto yourself. That is the moral of the story here. And this is true when we read the Bible. So, there are certain things the Bible says, don't do them very clearly. It's a command. And uh, those commands stand because the principle behind them still stands. And then there's other things where Paul's writing specifically to people. The, the author is writing specifically to people in a specific culture. And we don't just get to ignore the command, but we take the principle out of the command so that it makes sense for our culture. So, anyways, that's the uh, the yin and the yang. you got to have the Holy Spirit and, and leadership, and we don't just make these decisions on our own. Um, we submit to the church for these for these very reasons. Uh, the church, not necessarily just the leaders. That's not what I mean. I mean uh, the people. Like we, we, um, we read the Bible in community, which is kind of what this podcast is all about, right? Anyways, verse 7. A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping. For man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory, and woman reflects man's glory. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. 
Paul, Paul flips it. A lot of people will take those other verses and say, look, Paul hates women, but they leave out verses 11 and 12. Verse 13, judge for yourself. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? For it has been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. Moving on to our Proverbs of the day, as that does conclude our New Testament reading, will be Proverbs 21, verses 17 and 18, beginning in verse 17. Those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. The wicked are punished in place of the godly, and traitors in place of the honest. Moving on to our psalm of the day, we'll be reading verses 1 through 16 of the 35th psalm in a posture of prayer. Again, this is Psalm 35, verses 1 through 16, beginning in verse 1. A psalm of David, verse 1. O Lord, oppose those who oppose me. Fight those who fight against me. Put on your armor and take up your shield. Prepare for battle and come to my aid. Lift up your spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Let me hear you say, I will give you victory. Bring shame and disgrace on those trying to kill me. Turn them back and humiliate those who want to harm me. Blow them away like chaff on the wind, a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. Make their path dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I did them no wrong, but they laid a trap for me. I did them no wrong, but they dug a pit to catch me. So let sudden ruin come upon them. Let them be caught in the trap they set for me. Let them be destroyed in the pit they dug for me. Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad because he rescues me. With every bone in my body I will praise him. Lord, who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and poor from those who rob them? Malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good. I am sick with despair. Yet when they were ill, I grieved for them. I denied myself by fasting for them. But my prayers returned unanswered. I was sad, as though they were my friends or family, as if I were grieving for my own mother. But they are glad now that I am in trouble. They gleefully join together against me. I am attacked by people I don't even know. They slander me constantly. They mock me and call me names. They snarl at me. Lord, I am struck by verses 9 and 10. And I will rejoice in you because you have rescued me in Jesus. And Lord, I agree with the psalm when it says, Lord, who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and poor from those who rob them? You are the just and righteous God that gives us hope when everything else around us tells us to be hopeless. Thank you for this word to remind us today. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for today's reading. Hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.